Welcome to Further Research Needed. And here we are yet again with another conversation on the scientific publishing system. This is the podcast with straightforward questions and not so straightforward answers. I'm Hannes Feirer and I'm joined by, as always, by my two friends, Jan Philipp Reising and Chris Wood. Hey guys. Today I'm going to ask you, why should you measure scientific quality? And stick around because the answer might surprise you. Let's first let's open the beers and I'm going to introduce the topic. Yes, please. Yes. The question is a bit less straightforward than, than it sounds. Cheers. Sorry, that's very good. Cheers. In the end, it's a conversation about the journal impact factor. Um, I will explain it in a second for those who don't know it yet. Um, and people who have been here for a while, they know that um, I'm very critical of the current public system that we have right now and especially also of the impact factor. This isn't supposed to be a rant though, but I want to look at the positive things and why it's actually important. And of course also how we could improve it. But I think that's often something that's not so much, too much discussed in the critical debate in the open science movement. Maybe to them it's, it's kind of implicit, but here I want to kind of have the, the, whole, the whole picture of the impact factor. Um, quickly, I want to introduce it. And uh, for those who don't know who maybe aren't uh, scientists actively publishing. It's, in, it's a metric to describe a scientific journal. So we publish our papers in, there are tens of thousands different scientific journals and each of them has its own impact factor, which is the um, number of citations of the year before divided by the number of citable items, they call it, of the two years before that. So in a way, it's just the number of citations normalized by the amount of papers they publish. That's, that's a, a way to kind of measure citations. So in, it's basically a, a measure of citations of the, of the journal and it's implicit that citations then also means impact. The more paper is cited, the more impact it has into future science. The impact factor wasn't always around. Um, scientific publishing is hundreds of years old in, in these journals. The impact factor itself was only developed in 1975, and it was a way to help librarians screen journals for, for citations in the end for perceived impact. And it was especially important because there were many, many journals who published a lot of papers which were bought by journals and universities anyway. But then there were also smaller journals which published good papers that were cited a lot, but they would often um, kind of not be picked up. So this way, um, the people thought who developed it, it um, it's kind of easy for scientists and librarians to select the best journals publishing the best papers, at least the ones with the highest impact for the field. This was of course a time where they didn't have access to data databases and could just search the entire history of science at like 10 seconds or so. Um, today we, use it almost equivalent with scientific quality and importance kind of means both in our everyday language. And that's maybe the thing I want to talk about with you guys first. What, what is the main purpose of the impact factor today? What, what do we use it for the most? And what, why do you think it's, it has the, the status it has in science today? I feel like it's a proxy for ranking, right? <clears throat> and somebody else publishes and you kind of want to figure out like okay how well did he publish 
you look at the impact factor of the journal and then that's the internal ranking system. Yeah, yeah. Now you're comparing the journal impact factor to itself, kind of right. Like the ranking is the impact factor. Yeah. Exactly. When you say how yeah. well did you publish, it means how high is the impact factor of the journal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So exactly, you're so, you're trying to figure out okay, like where in this ranking did you kind of get into? Yes. So it's not self-evident that there is any ranking and any good publishing in scientific publishing, right? It's not self-evident that when we publish um, a publication, it can go to good or bad journal. Technically, it just has to be out there for other people to be read, to read it, right? Yeah, ideally, yeah. yes. But in reality, it doesn't really feel like that. Yeah. I think, I think implicitly, I do, I'm affected by the impact factor in that if I get, if I get, if someone just hands me a paper randomly and I start reading it, I will check where it's been published. And in my head, I have my own ranking system that I'll be honest, I'm quite lazy. So it does pretty much correlate into the, um, into the impact factor numbers, although um, not to the like fine detail, but I think publishers think that we care about them. Like there's rivalries in certain papers and like certain journals and like they can go up one year by one point and that tips them over the edge of another paper, another journal. And I'm not sure I care that much, but they're roughly yeah. in that band would be my, would be my way of thinking about it. And let's I think say, that's an interesting yearly rankings, like a football. That's table. an interesting feature is that it's uh, changes every year, right? Because it counts the citations of the year before that and number of citable items. That's also important. So not every item a journal publishes is citable, right? Mm. Technically, like responses or something like small columns wouldn't be. I feel like, well, I don't know if you would agree with that, but in theory, the impact factor should be something for the consumer, right? Like you were saying it was used for the librarians or maybe for other scientists. But mm -hmm. the, the most I really come into contact with the impact factor itself is when I choose to publish or somebody else in my vicinity chooses to publish then the impact factor is kind of like a big deal and there's the struggle okay how high are we trying to go is it worth trying there to get a better publication quote unquote which is pretty weird right it's it's not what it was designed for but i feel like that's what i get in contact with it the most exactly like for us it's kind of a metric of how good is our work like kind of your work the same same story the same experiments and the same interpretation gets better if it's published in a high impact journal compared to a low impact journal like this factually changes the quality of your work even though it's the same work that's the first time it's being judged right yeah it changes yeah. The, the perception of it later on mm. of course the work is the same it, it also measures how many people are going to look at it i would guess by proxy. So more people read the high impact journals and therefore you get more eyes to read your article. Do you I feel like don't think true? that's true. Do you think people actually read journals? That's probably one of the main points that I have today is that mm -hmm. people don't read journals. Like they don't, maybe the highest impact journals, let's say nature and science are physically in I don't know, outside some professor at my university where I studied, they had a bunch of journal collection, uh, like some collection of journals, like, like in a waiting room in a doctor's practice where you could read while you're waiting for your appointment with the professor. Maybe in a coffee area, this, and, um, it's some nature or something or science is lying there. But other than that, that's... I don't think people actually order 
So that's that's um, a, a really big piece of um, peacocking by the professors when they leave those. Because so in the higher impact journals, you actually get a copy of the publication, a, a physical paper copy of the publication for free when you publish in them. And so then they have them and then they put them outside their door just to look fancy and be like, oh yeah, that's what I did. This is my sense. Or they literally subscribed and let's just get it every month and just put it out yeah. there. I mean, just, and, and that's how it used to be, right? Scientists would have, let's say a chemist like you would have Jacks and Angevante Chemie subscribed and would receive their, their version every month. Yes, yeah. And yeah, today you're not doing this anymore, right? When you want to know what's out there, either you, you search on Web of Science or PubMed, or you already have an alert on, on Web of Science and it's telling you what is out there. You don't even have to go and look anymore. Yeah, exactly. So like the subscription that respect the metrics I have obsolete. Is, exactly. The subscription I have is my RSS feed or whatever, like my Web of Science search that I've saved. Exactly. That's my subscription. And it's completely irrelevant which paper it's being published in, right? That's by design. I don't want to get a biased selection of preferentially nature papers versus, I don't know, PNAS papers or something. But I do think where it matters, like I tried as a, as a point of pride not to look at the journals being published in when I read the paper, I might go back and say, well, this is crap. Like, where's this published? And I go, what? How, <laughs> how did this have, get in here? I imagine you have like one eye closed as you're looking at it. Yeah. But um, I know that other people have like a very different approach. They look at the title, the people involved, the the publication that it's published in, and then they have like a prejudgment before they even read the first sentence. Right. Before we get stuck in this, can I can I move on and, and talk about why we actually care where our journals are published? And that's because it to some extent determines which funding we get or if we get funding. And that's that's the funny thing is that to some extent, maybe that's changing. To some extent, funders are looking where you published before, instead of actually going into the literature, reading the papers and assessing them one by one if they are of good scientific quality. I think that's what is used mostly today. Which also means that now we try to publish high impact to get more money. Well, back then in the 70s, it had a different purpose. And yeah, I would agree I, with that. I think yeah. is that that's the question. Is like, is this now harming science? Well, we don't actually have to ask the question. I think it's pretty clear that it's bad in many, for many ways. Maybe it's not self-evident for everyone, but I think you need, might need to tell us the, like what what is your big pet peeves with that with that system? Because to ex externally, like, why not? It's like having likes on a Facebook page or or reads on a YouTube video. So why not? While likes on a Facebook page are completely <laughs> problemless. I I only read Facebook posts with hundred likes. That's that's or my more. cutoff. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I never reply to my Facebook posts. <laughs> oh. In none of you is active on Facebook, just for the record. <laughs> um, my main peeve with it is that it's it supplies us with a gameable metric. And all of a sudden, because it's so important in how we get funding, everything circles around the impact factor and high impact publications. It makes you as a scientist more important than true scientific value, like getting to the truth or something like that. Finding the, the ultimate reality of the universe. 
It's interesting that you put truth because then I could like publish quite boring papers where I'm like, if I fill a cup with a hundred grams of water, a hundred mils, it's it oh, makes hundred mils, that's, that's, and then that's, that's unfair true, you know, but it's not interesting or not even I should, probably shouldn't get money for it. Right. I know you being the devil's advocate, but it's that's actually a downside of um, of the impact factor is reproducibility. Why can't I just reproduce the study and publish it, and then I get like I get a paper which is is going to give me any grants? But the problem is that journals want to have high impact factors. They want novel work, and they often most journals don't publish um, just pure repeats of other work which would be good. Then we know the thing actually works under two completely different conditions done by two completely different labs. That would be a good thing for science, but we don't publish it because journals want novelty. And this is one of the, one of the criteria what they want to publish. So by us what, needing novel things to publish and not being allowed to just do a second or something, this um, decreases the truth value because it decreases reproducibility of, of studies. And that's why it's, I think bad, like this is one of the points where it's bad for science. I mean, if you, if you step out even one, one ring further, the, the metric was not invented to measure quality of scientific publications, right? But this is what we're using it for. So as a consequence of that, there are just many yeah. things that kind of spiral out of it like you were saying, you, that you can game the system is because the what you're actually measuring and the proxy you're using are not super well aligned. Yes, it's an okay-ish proxy, but it's not amazing. Yeah, yeah so I think it I measures wish... citations and citations don't mean the paper is good. If it's refuted 10,000 times, it's going to be published in all of these refutations. Yeah. It's going to be highly, pub highly cited, but in the end, it's going to be not true, therefore not, not that impactful. I think what Philip said is, is really key. I think it's the gaming of the system that's the problem. That it's the incentive, it, per, it perversely incentivizes scientists. And that those bad incentives are what causes this problem where people tend to overinflate the claims of what they've actually done. So some I've read some papers where in the abstract, the sort of summary bit for the paper, they say, we have created a artificial cell um, that is capable of self-replicating and writing on Twitter. And you then read down and you go, oh, oh, that's not what you've actually quite done here. It's these, you know, the, the subtleties of the experiments aren't quite that. That's one thing. Other people have just flat out lied. And like what you said, Hannes, the, the reproducibility of what they've done is, is suspect. Um, and these, these perverse incentives have are beginning to, oh no, they have corrupted the system and it's, it's becoming a problem. I think to a certain extent now, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy is not to, I don't want to say now that high impact journals are publishing bad science. I think there is a trend that, that maybe the science is of higher importance and, and many good things about that for sure. However, this one thing, the metric, the measure itself became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that if you publish in a high impact journal and by only publishing there, by being allowed to publish there, the, the editor taking you in predicts that the journal will be cited a lot. So people think, oh, this is of amazing quality and it's super important. So we cite it because also if you want to publish in high impact journals, they want you to cite a lot of high impact journals. 
so it kind of goes round and round and yeah and actually did so the, the did a course on graph theory and they were looked exactly at the networks of who sides who who sides whom and you can see that it's a winner takes all system just by the way that how we cite things just by the let's say just by chance if you have two equal publications that are equal in every measurable thing and just by chance one of them gets four citations and the other one gets two the one with the four is going to rack up more and more citations down the line just because your chance downstream 10 years 15 20 years down the line is just going to increase exponentially because it just comes up a lot more and that's not really the system that you want right because it it just measures kind of like random noise in the beginning when stuff is being cited. Yeah. But if they're so, equal, if those two publications are equal, it's not necessarily a problem, right? Because we still we still look at the same information. So we've still got Oh yeah, and that artificial, I mean, it would be extremely unfair to that second group, right? right. That's so, also not super fantastic because they did equivalent job, but they don't reap equivalent benefits. But also like the the noise aspect is so high that even if let's say the lower quality publication for whatever reason has more citations just by chance in the beginning mm -hmm. like that initial initial difference makes such a huge difference so i think this is a really good point because i wonder whether some of our gripes with the system are because we we suffer under it but actually the system for science as a whole is it works and it, it's a system, okay, there's better, you, we, can, we can propose tweaks. It's very harsh on new scientists and starting off scientists. Once you've established yourself, the self-fulfilling pro prophecy wheel begins and you're, you can kind of now continue your, 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 your um, uh, career and these sorts of things. But it's really harsh on the people starting out. And I, I'm intrigued as to whether we are talking about the problems of the system for science as a whole or problem of the system for us or for young researchers in general. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the main aspects that we have to disentangle. But if in, the in measure what... promises to say, oh, it's about quality, then if it makes such a huge difference whether or not you're being established, we all know people who are very new in science who are publishing amazing things and we also know people who are very well established that are not publishing super high quality stuff you know if, if it has such a huge impact then i would argue that sure it's a it's harsher on us starting out but it's also a problem for science in general because you like we don't want that kind of hierarchy tainting our let's say objective measure of how good quality science is mm. Can I can I shift the debate a bit to having a look at um, at the funders and the way that we allocate grant money, that we allocate research money, because this is I think what why we care about our impact factor the most. Sure, I'm kind of showing off to to my friends, showing off that I published an impact factor two, and they only in one, and that's why I'm a twice a better scientist. <laughs> um, and we can talk about about author metrics, but that's maybe. Well, it's going to come up later, but it's, it's, a, it's in my, my world, it's the same problem. Um, but funders in the end, the way I have never allocated money to anyone and I've never been on a grand review board or anything, but the way I imagine it, there's a bunch of scientists 
often big shots in their field, or at least experts in different fields, who receive a lot of applications that they may or may not be experts in. They have to assess those applications if they are whatever the, the funder requires, if they're feasible, if they're of high importance and impact, if they're, here's the word again, impact, right? Um, and all that. And then they have to go ahead and read these 10,000 applications, let's say a hundred or something. It's still, still a lot, right? Because each grant application, they're often very big. And so people have to find a way to, to assess an application if they're not experts in the field, like reading it will not help them so much because they don't understand all the details. Even if they do, it's just way too much to read. So the thing we fall back on is where did these people publish before? Because of course they are scientists, they have published before, they're not coming out of these things thin air and want to start their career. So what we look at is where did they publish before? What did they publish? And then we can go and read all these papers, which is again, even more time than just reading all the applications in too much detail. And, and that's where then I think we fall back on the impact factor of where we published. Okay, this person apparently published above impact factor 10, five times in the last 10 years. That's really good. They're probably good scientists. They probably know what they're doing. So we should give them money. And that's exactly where we can discuss if this actually correlates and put the impact factor down, but also we can discuss if there might be a better system for that. Yeah, I think the, the, the issue with it is that, so we've talked about how the wheel, it's a self-fulfilling wheel just within the impact factor, but then we've added another cog onto that wheel, which as soon as you have a high impact publication, you're more likely to get money, which means you're more likely to be able to write more high impact publications. So now we've got a double kind of enhancing loop where, the, where there's no dampener on the, on the signal. So we just can constantly feeding into this thing. And as Philip had said, it's just constantly enhancing the noise at the start of the cycles that is just random and unfair. Or right, for young, for young scientists, let's say. Or, or the, problem, the problem is seeing is... Yeah, so let's say to take it away from young scientists, it's mm -hmm. it's maybe not allowing the best ideas. And again, we still haven't we still haven't found a way to define the best idea apart from impact. So I'm, I'm really intrigued for what you would suggest. But um, the, the, we may be losing some really good, um, helpful ideas to humanity because they just got lost. They were slightly undecided that researcher. And then when they come for their next application, they don't get the money and that researcher has to leave science or, you know, do whatever. Um, so we might be losing some really good science out there. But each time I've said it, I've said the word good, which adds, which means we do still need to measure quality or we need an impression of quality somehow. Exactly. We, even if we, if we don't have that, go on. even if we don't have that measure of quality, I would say, I think diversity in opinions and ideas is definitely a value for science in general in life, obviously, but for science as well to have, let's say different ideas out there and you test them and one of them is going to win out. But in the system that you described, it's kind of like that winner takes all. If mm. you have that one professor that just gets more and more powerful, or maybe it starts out as a young researcher and gets just more powerful over their career, then it's really hard to 
to push them off the throne, right? They might be wrong, they might be right, but either way, you're kind of dampening all the other opinions because that person is the big shot in the field. And we've talked about this in the podcast before that science advances one advances one funeral at a time. And I think the let's say the impact factor and the how grants are being given to to professors kind of incentivizes them to stick on their position. And it would be nice to not have that being a truism, right? Yeah, yeah. I think also the other, another cog in the system is that you, there's such a thing as um, scientific genealogy where you as a researcher are judged on the labs that you have worked in. And so, and you're judged by their impact factor or the number of things they've published in high impact journals. So you've got scientists who have published high, get funding and they're getting higher and higher and higher and more powerful as uh, Phil said. Um, but then their, their descendants are people who think the way they think or have been trained in the scientific techniques of that one person and mindset then go off and they are more likely to have funding than people who haven't been trained in those sets. So that's another imp like another cycle reinforcing this, this inequality. Um, yeah. So I wonder, and I don't have a clear answer here. It's the podcast with Straightforward questions and not so straightforward <laughs> answers, right? I, I really don't really I don't really know here what nice. would be a better way, but sure. the question is how we improve that system and or not only improve, first we have to make sure, like establish is it actually flawed or is it not? And again, for granted money allocation, we have two applications that are, let's say they read of a similar quality, but one published very high impact, the other published very low impact. Does that mean that their application is less feasible? It's less important for, let's say, society and science. I guess it can be two different things and so on. Or does it not mean that? And do we need a different way to assess that? That's, that's the question we're asking. I guess we do all agree that the best idea should get the money, right? That's one way of doing it. So. I don't expect a clear answer from you now. If you have awesome ideas, we can hear them in a second. What I wanted to say first is that there are there have been alternatives proposed to how we allocate funding money. People talked of lotteries. Well, since the system is so flawed anyway, we might just like spin the lottery and give some to like pick a few and give them a lot or we kind of distribute it equally, but much lower amounts per person, for example, or um, I don't know what else was out there. Philip brought this great example a long time ago. I'm not sure when, when we talked about the Boston Marathon. Yeah, how you get into the Boston Marathon has different avenues to get into. And it's a pretty fair and interesting system. I don't know if you want to like recap it all, but you yeah, can please basically... give us a, give us a, the TLDR again. Yeah, it's been a long time, but I think the, the basic gist of it was there's a way to pay yourself in. You can just donate or something. There's a way through merit. So you can, like if you're in the top five, whatever marathons or something, or if you ha have been in the like top 10 of three marathons or something. Like if you're just a very good runner, you can get into the marathon. And then there's like a system for like local, 
local New Yorkers to participate. So you have to participate in, I don't know, seven different marathons. But let's say to, to translate it to our system, you say, well, whatever incentive or system we come up with, we're always going to fuck over some people and we're not going to get the best result. But if we have different avenues for people to get funding that are more diverse and include more people with different backgrounds, then that's going to be beneficial for the whole endeavor. Be it the bias is kind of even out. Is that, is that the idea? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for the best marathon, what they said is like, you can, if you are rich, you can always buy yourself a way into the Boston Marathon. Like you can never design the system in a way that if Bill Gates decides that he wants to do it, he's just going to pay someone to make it happen. So if you know that you're not going to be able to do that, you just provide like a legal quote unquote way to, to do that. And for us, that would be, well, powerful professors who are well-established are always going to have the chance to publish high and important work. Well, so, the point is they, they're always able to get funding, but that's also a good thing, right? We want exactly. yeah, 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 powerful, that's exactly, uh, yeah. we want good scientists to keep getting funding. That's an important point here as well, right? I think we might want to avoid the word powerful because it's sounding a lot more epic. Than <laughs> it's sounding like a competition, like a Game of Thrones competition. Yeah, it's like a mafia now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to some degree is, it is. Like we all know that if you win, for example, the Nobel Prize, it's not about that, what is it now? Like 1 million dollars that you get or something or less 700,000 mm -hmm. however the crowns are valued at the at the moment but um you're basically set for life in your career right you're mm -hmm. always gonna have funding pretty much for the rest of your life whatever you do and we did a whole episode on Nobel laureates going off the rails because of that fact right they can pursue stuff they could not pursue pursue previously so this is quite cool. So the Nobel Prize is something that's outside of the impact factor system in a way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's a measure of quality that we've not talked about yet. So it, not, it's, not everything is based on impact factor. And there is peer review to a certain extent looks at the, looks at the quality, not the quality, looks at the impact of your work. So um, when you peer review a paper, um, sometimes I would say most of the times I've done it, they ask, do you think this paper will be in the top X percent of, of impact? They actually use the word impact. Um, mm. And so not referencing the impact factor, but I think they are more implying on the field. So they're not actually asking you to say it will be cited a hundred times. You're saying this is important. And so yeah. that's, that is also a filtering system of quality that is asked. And this, this is where I wonder, is that, can we actually somewhat actually predict that? Because since we spoke about the Nobel Prize, it's an important point to note here that, not always, of course, and I wouldn't even know for, for half Nobel Prizes out there, but there are so many stories of Nobel Prizes that were rejected initially or published super low and were overlooked for decades until the field finally accepted the thing as true or impactful or interesting until it took off. Like the CRISPR thing was published in the 90s and the method didn't take off until the 2010s, right? That's like the, the yeah. knowledge was yeah. there. Exactly, yeah. But that's, that's important when we assess how good we, no, when we judge it, how good we are at assessing impact, like just at the time of publication. And I, I'm kind of a strong proponent of saying that we can guess, but we can't actually predict how good a paper is and what impact it will have in the future. Like, 
longer than providing public uh, citations for three years or something. We can't really assess that at the time of publication. And that's, I think, a good, this is a good thing to be humble about. But we're not, we're trying to predict that we know this is going to change the world. I think it's a good reason why the Nobel Prize waits so long before it administers the, the prizes. Absolutely, it, yeah. It does, it does take that into account. It says, look, you know, yes. we're not they sure. Don't, but we're, they don't we'll jump on a bad wagon and follow a hype. Like yeah. the Nobel Committee seems to be very rigorous about that. Yeah. But I mean, the Nobel Prize is a very, let's say, a small proportion of scientists that receive it, right? Ab absolutely. I like the idea. That's why I'm saying, like, can we find more avenues? I'm not saying throw out the impact factor and like the all the committees and grant agencies that we have right now, but why not why find not? more what, what? unconventional ways to distribute the money, right? Like That's more prizes exactly. like the Nobel Prize, for example, would be one avenue. I mean, the Nobel Prize is highly flawed as well but if you put together let's say several highly flawed systems then overall you might get a fairer system than than what we have right now we sort of not have the best that. system but a fairer system to yeah Sorry, we go. sort of have that at the moment so as a young researcher you apply for a different style of grant to a established researcher yeah. um often they have cutoffs for age um which is proving controversial because it implies that you you're, you had a completely um, standard career where you did yeah. university, you entered research and you started working and then on, the, on your 30th birthday, you change into an established researcher and now you can play with the big boys. And, you know. Did you just say 30? <laughs> I think I might be might have to put cry, a bit right? higher just to just to, so <laughs> others get some like, anxiety. Have a look uh, for, for you two. Possibly this is this is important because have a look at what Sweden the Swedish grant system is quite. Um, Swedish system has a just because we're talking about it and all our listeners are in Sweden. No, actually more so not. Um, Sweden has a five-year cutoff after their PhD. Okay. Yeah. Like you have to have applied for for a assistant professor position or something up to five years after your PhD, and then you can't apply anymore for these starting grants in Sweden. That's their mm -hmm. cutoff. But I feel like we have like, like a good example for, for a fix rather than a different system, right? You're still using the impact factor. You still, like as a young researcher, you still need the 10 plus impact factor papers multiples yes. to actually get those grants, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't have a shot at any of these papers unless there's a major miracle in my very near future. So and at the journals have high impact at high impact journals. That's yeah, that I apply Let's for class and Philip, my email gets ideas. diverted. <laughs> well, um, well but one thing I would like to Yeah, okay, go for it. You you're me. You're me. Hannes, go for it. I'm I'm leaving I'm giving you the, the time now. Go on. I think I forgot my point. Just go for it. <laughs> The, let's go back to the funding allocation because that's where I do think the impact factor has the most impact. Wow, that's a good one. Um, let's imagine we want to stick with with metrics, with wanting to give put a number or numbers on our publications and assessing quality at the time for publication. What what can you guys think of that would be better? than predicted citations by the journal publishing the work. 
to and how could we implement that go on i quite like um i don't know if you've seen it it's called alt metric sometimes it comes on the right hand side of papers mm -hmm, yeah. uh, and it's attempting to be a different method it's, it's not so set, so set on looking at citation counts it also takes into account the number of reads of the paper so um, alt stands for alternative right yes yeah and it's mm -hmm. I, I, it must I think it might be a private company that runs the aggregated metric system that yep, works with it. Some journals have signed up to it. Um, certainly the Nature Publishing Group has. Um, some yeah, of many, many. So it's quite common now, yeah. Yeah. And so, so it, it also counts it on... Or it counts. Mm -hmm. It counts how many people, how many times people have read the paper, which I think is a good... It's something that was previously uncountable because we read it on paper. But now, because we're on the internet, of course we can look at the number of... You can count anything, you know, right? So we count the number of reads. It counts the number of times that the paper has been um, tweeted about or any other, whatever social media the thing can, can, has APIs for. And it also counts whether the paper has been or ref referred to in traditional newspapers and other online media outlets. Um, and it takes the citations into account. So this is aggregating more of an, a, a measure of how much this paper has been read and by who and whether the, that, that information is being um, used. And I think utility is a very good, uh, good measure or maybe a better measure than citation um, to aim for because a useful paper that goes on to make new drugs or whatever, or cause more exploration of the field is, is could be a measure of one paper being better than another paper. Um, yep. Going back to the sort of, Hannes measuring the volume of 100 grams of a... Of Can I respond to that? Ooh, okay. I think, I think altmetrics are interesting because they, they go beyond mere citation in, in the scientific realm and then give kind of wider exposure. And if you will, this has more of an impact than the actual impact factor. Mm -hmm. However, I think it's at least equally flawed. Oh man, I have a Twitter, like, Twitter army ready to poke, like tweet about my papers so I can bust that metric. Awesome. Up. <laughs> <Waiting for it. laughs> like Twitter hypes, for example, are a really big thing that, that then biases this so much. Like also the hypes can go into the hypes on Twitter. And of course, there's a whole other discussion. But like these dictate to a large extent how these behave. And especially like in the, the exposure to the wider public other yeah. than only the scientific community biases things so much that the fields with the highest of metrics are like dinosaur studies because people talk about them so much like in or in, or very controversial things i or, think or gender, those exactly gender studies and, and, and this and biases kind of things get... a lot in a, mm -hmm. in a way that interests society more and maybe that's also a fair thing like who can blame anyone to give more funding to what they think is the most interesting but if you were actually to ask anyone about some super boring cancer therapy or dinosaurs they might give the money to the cancer therapy but they might talk more about the dinosaurs and that's where the the strong bias comes in of the theology yeah. metrics i think i agree i think that's yeah it is it, it is flawed and it will it will be gamed in a new way. People will always find, like Philip said, like they will always find a system that find a way through the system. Um, but having but more think, methods to check. Like I, I completely agree with your point, Hannes. Absolutely. I think it would be a terrible system if alt metrics would be the only way how you would get funding. I think that would 
be even more detrimental to science overall. However, as a scientific community, what we are doing, popular science, trying to bring science closer to people is really important, right? So giving a Absolutely. certain amount of money to people who make science that is really engaging to the wider public is really important, right? There was this study out of Australia, I think, where they figured out that platypuses actually fluoresce after, under UV light, which kicked off like a whole... I mean, Twitter, what is the positive thing for a shitstorm? It's like a Twitter storm, isn't it? Twitter love storm or Does something. Twitter love storm. <laughs> and actually kicked off a lot more research where people were like going through like the British history or like biology history museum, whatever, like with a UV light trying every sample and specimen they had under the UV light, which is objectively saying if you compare this to the work that's done at CERN or in cancer research or whatever we all would agree well can we please solve cancer first and then figure out why platypuses might thress under uv light but nevertheless it's it's really important for the general public to be excited about science right so i and think having that as an extra predict. way is good you can't predict what you know like Actually, fluorescence is yes. really good. Like <laughs> GF, the GFP protein is one of the most important, or not, a very important uh, protein now used for, let's say, cancer studies or whatever you're going to do. And that's just because jellyfish glow in the dark. It's like, wow, cool. You can't underestimate know? the importance of GMP in molecular biology. Insane. Yes, I agree, but it's not that anybody that it was not so popular because people are thinking, oh, this might be really useful. It was just really cool. And something being really cool is not a really good indicator of how important it is going to like look at the 90s. They thought a lot of things were really cool that were really not that important. But yeah, although I'm not gonna go. <laughs> the I'm 90s gonna... ended. We just we can, go. can I can I get us back on science. track? It's it's it's, a, it's the same thing every time. <laughs> Let's get back on track. What you um, doing in the 90s? Oh. Let's have a different 90s episode, okay? We can talk about 90s science another time. Separate. <laughs> what What do you guys think of, we've talked about this before, at least over coffee, probably not the podcast, about a, a system that ranks different, that give, that, yeah, that kind of ranks or at least gives, gives points in different categories for scientific papers, maybe not to people, that would be weird. Like let's say but your paper has been published and happened. in the in at, at time of publication, the reviewers and whoever, maybe people who read it, rank it to, let's say it, scientific rigor and novelty and why not predicted impact or something like that, that either reviewers or maybe the community can, can rate it really like your YouTube rating system, just in a few more categories. Ooh, you want can, something can like give us Metacritic or, or Rotten Tomato for... Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes for, for, for scientists. Why not? Because it would give you... And the then you have the experts to... and then you have the general public. Or like that would the... be cool. I think the, the, the split between the two would be quite nice to see because that's always interesting to see the difference between the review, the film reviewer and the actual, you know... Yeah, oh, that data that's, would that's be amazing as point. well. Yeah. The, the other interesting point is that, that it can give different scientists or let's say different archetypes of scientists that even exist in the scientist one archetype different kinds of scientists different uh, funding give, can give them uh, like a, a way to shine some people who make very safe science like super super rigorous and do very 
kind of establish things, but with them super thoroughly. So you don't, there's no doubt about this thing is true or not. And then there are these people who do this like super interdisciplinary studies who throw out all different methods. And they're not expert in any of them, but it's super high risk. And often then these are super high impact papers who get a lot of funding, a lot of attention, but maybe it's very difficult to reproduce for anyone else who doesn't own this handcrafted machine or something. You know what I mean? These are kind of different scientists that are all important in the scientific community, but we can't rank one over the other in what impact they have in the future, I guess. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you would rank the papers, right? You would not rank the scientists. No, of course, the paper that, that comes from these scientists, of course. And I think like if you, if you stick with a rotten tomato metaphor or, or simile or whatever, it would be there are certain directors that make like super niche historic dramas or whatever that are highly recognized by a certain sub-community of moviegoers and they get to make films, right? And then there are Marvel blockbusters that are like, okay, uh, by the risk of getting a lot of hate mail, maybe oh, not no. not as high quality in terms of Ooh. like... Um, I beg you on this one, Chris. I, uh, Philip, sorry. High-minded high um, topics, but have very great entertainment value, right? And you could you could draw a similarity to to science as well going there like some more flashy stuff with like better like high impact methods <clears throat> trying something really hard and then there's rep repetition studies that are equally important but less fun so to speak um, yeah absolutely so i'd be down to to program the rotten tomatoes of of science nice. do we have another business plan are we at number five now or, or how far do we go I'm not sure would... if Rotten Tomatoes actually makes a lot of money, but gets a lot of hate from people who don't agree with it. So again, at the risk <laughs> <laughs> to have another like bag of hate mail from other people, like, why don't we just keep going? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think... I'm not sure where we went with this episode. I would kind of like to conclude what we had so far. I, I wanted to say one more thing. I think what would please. be really important, even in the same system, what we should do is have a mandatory two-tier system. I don't know what the, let's say, the protocol is for most grad agencies, but I think it would be a minimum, if that's not the case already, that in the first round, you strip your grant application from any identifiers like impact factor, name, institution, everything. It should just be merit. The proposal you're putting in, is it a good proposal? Yes or no? And I would hope that this would decrease a lot of the biases that we in science have. Biases against women, biases against people of color, and all these kinds of things. Biases against just people starting out, all of these kinds of stuff. If you can get through that initial step, then okay use the impact factor we have to use something and i think impact factor could not be the worst thing that we can come up with but i think we can definitely at least at least tweak the system we have right now to make it more fair and and this equal is, this is starting so um, i know a few funders who are already blinding their reviewers the grant reviewers to to the applicants and to the everything um, the issue with this is that because you're writing quite a complex document and everyone knows the they should be experts in the fields um, that they're in. You can never blind efficiently to completely 
just destroy that knowledge. Um, people will know who's working where and what's going on. So it, it will help, but it might not solve the whole problem. No, I agree. But I think it's a good first step. At least you cannot be sure. Like you might have an inkling of going, ah, this sounds like research coming out of XY's lab in whatever, Timbuktu. But um, you, you don't know for sure, right? Was it racist though? No, Timbuktu is just, yeah, different discussion. But it's a, at <laughs> least it's a German saying. It's not racist. Hmm. I so hope never are. I think Sorry. Uh, yes. my, my hope would be that we could maybe have funding agencies with different aims. So currently all the funding, all funding agencies want to, to fund high impact research or research that's going to help humanity and interest humanity. Um, but I wonder if maybe we, we set up a, a second funding agency for research integrity, which also funds the repetition science and the not so sexy science and looks for, I don't know, a, a different thing. And then you have, you, have your, you have your impact factor funding, but you also have your reproducibility funding and maybe other, other bits that you would pick as you went along. So this would give scientists the opportunity to rely less on the impact factor, but still make an important contribution to science and make a living by repeating science, which is, well, the two things that, that we want as a scientist, right? And predictability, right? I think a lot of the problems why people don't stay in science is that your job is not very secure. But yes. if you can do proper replication studies, I think that would be a definitely safer route that you could take to to make a career of you might yes. not have that big of a lab or whatever but at least that's more predictable maybe you could also add say science outreach so that we could get this podcast funded mm. that would be a separate <laughs> uh, funding agency for you could also become our patreon on patreon <laughs> if you, it's if just you enjoy this content <laughs> yeah the european commission is gonna, is gonna yeah. is gonna fund us on patreon awesome <laughs> But they would have to that, go for the highest tier, though. That has happened. I've actually heard of researchers using Kickstarter to fund some projects, which I think is interesting, but has its own flaws. What? Because you're not guaranteeing a product. You're, guarantee you're saying, and it's often things like, we're going to cure cancer. And there is also a, a large realm of charlatanism that could exist in, in, mm. this, in this thing. But it's an interesting one where that's actually the public voting with its money its own money, not just tax money, to to pick the research it likes. Um, so that could be. I don't trust that. Well, too many dinosaurs are going to come up. Wait, I mean, why do you hate dinosaurs? I don't exactly. Oh, no, they're cool. I, I, I like them. They're cool. Might be interesting. Good. I'm I'm researching how to cure dinosaurs of cancer. I need the money. It's really important. <laughs> You're a bit late, dude. I'm sure they died off, but actually, actually, without any joke, I would assume if you could get your hands on dinosaur DNA, you would probably figure out how to treat cancer. Because, for example, blue whales don't get cancer at all. Because it's like they have so many cells, like if their cells would have a propensity to get That's cancer. That's not true. I have, I have so it many problems. I can I can actually back this up. Where did blue whales live? in the water right. I guess that's a trick what question. happens what happens when a blue whale dies they sink to the floor and become food for all the stuff at how the bottom many, of the ocean how many scientists go down and have a check on whether each of those whales has cancer no okay so there's extra research on blue whales and what happens is that you basically have 
inter no within cancer competition and the cancer kind of cancels itself out because of the size but if you could apply the same mechanism to to you it means they get cancer that means they get a lot of cancer because they have a lot but of they cells. don't die of cancer which is <laughs> but the they get cancer thing. that's the point cancer scales with size of the organism also for blue whales what i'm saying is dinosaurs were even bigger so no, blue whales are the biggest thing that's ever existed do we have to what no i think yeah oh yeah that might actually be true but okay they were pretty big they were big okay. and there were lots of different ones so they might have different exactly. skills yeah exactly they might have different ones. ways to figure out how to and they had like medium-sized dinosaurs as well who might have real problems with ones. cancer have you seen the simpsons episode where um burns is t has a medical and they talk about how many diseases can fit through the door this sounds exactly this theory <laughs> they just have so much cancer that they have no cancer it's funny Plus, Hannes, you don't know if that's actually true about blue whales. I think that's recent research. So either way, what I'm saying is we should definitely fund Chris's um, paleontology research. Fund that. I apologize for this weird cut, but, but there was a weird bit on blue whales that I'm going to cut to the end of the episode after the intro. Thank you very much. Oh, let's start um, with this. This is good shit. Yeah, that's super good shit. Um, I'm going to put it at the beginning of the episode, though. Um, to go back to the impact factor and scientific publishing, what I found interesting in this, in this discussion now that we did I kind of forced it just a bit, but in the end, what do you guys kind of, the direction you wanted to go in, in the end was that we changed the way we distribute funding. And I think that's the thing it comes down to is that the impact factor is, most of it is a sim symptom of the way we distribute funding. And if you want to break the cycle of funding inequality, we have to break the impact factor inequality or the other way around. And I think that is happening slowly. For example, there is, it's called Coalition S or Plan S. That's um, kind of a more or less of a contract or a piece of paper that <laughs> funders signed of on how they will, on do's and don'ts that they will do in or don't in allocating funding. And one of these points is that they um, pledge to ignore the, um, the prestige of the journal where the, the applicant um, published in. And I think that's an important step because this in the end might break the cycle of wanting to publish highest you get papers, uh, to get funding. If, if people get funding without publishing high, they don't need to run to these high impact journals that, that ask for a lot of money published behind paywalls and so on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's in cool. the end, it's just a number, right? It can't hurt you. What hurts you is not getting the funding. Yeah, that's, that's the point. The question is what other gameable system is going to come up that we're going to have after the impact factor, if any of us is, gonna, is ever going to experience that. I'm quite sure if we just do like Facebook, um, quizzes and questions like what do you want funded Chris's paleontology or Hannah's <laughs> NMR research that I'm 100% sure that's the best way to go oh my god I've got to go I've got to go back on my Facebook now Jeez. <laughs> good way to to conclude it um as far as it scientific is scientific influencer it's gonna be great the, I mean the way we, we this is do... definitely where we're headed I think so yeah the way we do allocate funding is does and all of science does work to a large extent, right? So this is kind of like 
Um, Does my p-value look big in this? <laughs> tweaking, <laughs> tweaking the small flaws in the system. There might be big flaws in other places, but yeah. What's wrong with your p-value? No, I'm trying to be a scientific influencer, so I don't know. This is a whole other thing. I'll set up a new project. It'll be, you know, be fine. I'll get on Instagram. It'll be crazy. All, the, all those thirst traps with with uh, the smaller than 0 0.05 p value. I'd click on that. I would so <laughs> click on that. It would be crazy. Should we, uh, should we do a, a shared outro? Uh, sure, we could improvise. Thank you for listening. This was episode number I don't think anyone counts. Um, if you want to send questions or comments, you can find us on Philip. Uh, frn-podcast.com that's our website uh, if you want to get all the infos or find out where you can listen to the podcast follow us on twitter at, at frn-podcast wrong I'm happy oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry okay. you can follow us on twitter at frnpodcast and if you want to support the show you can find us on patreon at uh, patreon.com slash podcast unhyphenated as well. Thanks you thank you thanks you for listening and we we'll see you next time in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>